GM delivers solid earnings numbers. Hedge funds become the net seller. And is Shopify a buy? This is the Running With The Money podcast. Let's get into it. And well, the markets look like they're going to go green just a day after there was quite a bit of selling. Um, yesterday, we saw the NASDAQ sell off pretty hard. In fact, meanwhile, the Dow Jones just edging out a gain on the cusp of Janet Yellen's comments, which we will get into. She later walked those back, but I think she just walked those back um, because of the market reaction and the reaction um, of overall investors, I would say. Um, I don't really think she actually walked back her comments because they weren't true. So we're going to be getting into those. But the first thing we are going to dig into is GM and their earnings numbers. They just delivered these numbers this morning. um, And we're going to dig into them. Well, they delivered an EPS of $2.25, much better than the dollar for expected. Um, So EPS up 262% year over year, a beat on EPS expectations. But Revenues, they just missed expectations. They delivered revenues of $32.47 billion versus the $32.67 billion expected. Still, solid numbers. Um, now, they did not decrease their forecast, even though um, they did note that the semiconductor shortage has caused quite a bit of issues, um, and they expect uh, some cost to come with the semi-shortage in the future. But, you know, they didn't decrease their guidance, which is exactly what we wanted to see. So if we take a look, um, GM 2021 revenue forecast is still 10 to $11 billion. Um, and EPS for the year is still expected to be within a solid range of $5.25 to $4.50. So not bad numbers there. Um, the earnings call is coming up. A lot of investors are excited to see what exactly comes out of that call. It will be interesting to see. Um, but overall, earnings are not bad at a glance. They did not decrease guidance. They're confident they can get through the semiconductor shortage and still turn out solid numbers, especially in the first half of the year, they noted. Um, so definitely uh, a solid uh, group of numbers coming out of GM this morning. Now, you're probably wondering, so what are your thoughts on GM? Well, if you take a look at GM, it's been moving to the upside throughout the past year quite a bit. In fact, just since about June 2020, the stock has been on an upside tear. Um, if we take a look, it's up 166% in the past year. It's up on a year-to-date basis, 32%. In the past three months, it's up nearly 5%. It currently is trading at a price-to-earnings, though, of just 12.80 times. Now, it is important to remember that the auto industry um, trades at a lower premium, but not just because of, you know, just market sediment. It also trades at a lower premium because when it comes to how much money that they make they make their margins are extremely thin um, and a lot of investors do not like that when compared to growth names um, even some energy names um, and a lot of other industries uh, in the public markets but I do believe there is upside potential here in GM um, on a valuation basis it is quite low compared to the market they just delivered solid numbers um, and there is possibly a catalyst 
hidden within this semiconductor shortage area. So if the semiconductor shortage continues to be a major issue throughout the year, which is expected to be, expectations for GM going into the next quarter are probably going to be low. Um, and if expectations are low and they deliver solid numbers and they defy the odds um, against the semiconductor shortage, you could possibly see upside in the stock. I think that's why we're seeing upside today. It's up 3.96% after hours on these numbers. And I think it's mostly because investors were expecting um, not the most favorable numbers due to the semiconductor shortage. They were probably expecting weaker numbers and instead they got strong numbers. So at the end of the day, possibly a hidden catalyst in there if they defy the odds once again in the next quarter. So overall, GM, uh, I think it's a solid buy here. I take a look. It's 57 bucks a share here in the pre-market. It's off its highs still, right around $62 per share. I think it's a solid long-term buy. They're EVs. They're electric vehicles. They're in the battery game. Um, they're very much following the Tesla format when it comes to introducing electric vehicles, manufacturing electric vehicles, and bringing, on, bringing in their own in-house battery manufacturing, which I like to see all of that. Now, shift into Janet Yellen's comments, we have to talk about them. So the market got quite scared yesterday. If you take a look, the NASDAQ sold off yesterday 261 points. The S&P 500 down 28. The rest 2K down 29. Um, but the Dow Jones came in and it eked out a gain, um, a 19-point gain. Not much. I mean, that's not much at all. That's 0.06% but it still leaked out a gain. And why did this occur? Well, earlier on Tuesday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen said, quote, it may be that interest rates will have to rise somewhat to make sure that our economy doesn't overheat. Now, as you know, on the podcast, we've been talking about um, economic overheating for, I swear, probably the past few months now. Um, even some of the huge investors out there like Michael Burry, who called the 2007, 08, and 09 crash, the great financial crisis, and shorted the market all the way down. The guy's a genius. He even warned of a hyperinflation situation. Um, Bank of America has warned of a hyperinflation situation, and the media is just not picking up on it. And now we get Janet Yellen making these comments, and then she's forced to walk them back after the market reaction, after the major selling that was occurring uh, yesterday morning. Um, and then the market market quickly bounced back, at least the Dow Jones did, as she walked back those comments. Now, personally, I think she only walked back those comments, not because they weren't true, but because of the market reaction. She was very blunt with her assessment of interest rates um, and what the Fed and the Treasury will need to do in order to keep things in line. Um, meanwhile, the Fed is not blunt. They kind of walk a thin line where they say something and then walk it back and they say something and then walk it back and they say something and then walk it back. And they'll say, well, we don't think inflation will be that bad, but it could be bad. And then they'll say, well, we're not going to increase rates, but we could increase rates. They never really give you a straight answer. Um, and it's typically because they don't want to scare the markets. And this is, in my opinion, exactly what got them in the trouble that it did in the great financial crisis. Prior to um, the market crashing and everything in the floor pretty much falling out, they were saying, ah, everything's okay. Everything's fine. Um, and then the floor fell out and they said, okay, not everything was fine. Um, so the Fed should really just be honest with the market, um, but they're not. Now, higher interest rates have historically benefited um, certain sectors. For instance, the financials, the big banks, um, consumer discretionary names, and the industrials um, have tended to correlate to the upside with higher interest rates. Meanwhile, um, areas that don't do well are those growthier sectors, the softwares, the FANG names. Um, those names tend to do a little worse when interest rates are higher. Um, so overall, the market not really liking the assessment of higher interest rates in the future. 
And it will be interesting to see what the Fed is forced to do. Now, this shifts right into what the hedge funds are doing. So hedge funds became net sellers once again for a fourth week in a row, selling big time. In fact, um, according to MarketWatch, quote, Bank of America reports that of its clients, hedge funds have been, quote, extreme sellers of stocks. The rolling four-week average flows for hedge funds were the lowest in the history of this series, which dates back to 2008, and were three standard deviations below the average. So hedge funds, after Janet Yellen's announcement, um, started selling once again. So four weeks in a row, hedge funds have been extreme selling. They have been selling big time out of the market. Um, and they have also been saying, uh, you know, at the end of the day, what is this showing us? Well, if we take a look at where they're selling, um, selling is mostly concentrated out of the hedge funds in the communication services and information technology sectors. Um, so those are your techie names, your Facebook, um, for instance. Now, uh, what does this really mean? Well, they're fearing higher inflation, higher interest rates, um, and they're seeing the signs of it. In fact, um, if we take a look at the relationship between hedge funds and retail traders at the moment, retail investors are buyers. For the third week in a row, third week in a row they have been um, big time buyers. In fact, retail traders have been net buyers for the third straight in, uh, week in a row, 10 straight weeks now. This has been occurring. And not only that, but hedge funds are getting more nervous as the retail buyers continue to buy more. Um, so hedge funds are nervous because of a few things. First off, April payrolls are starting to be delivered. Private payrolls just came out this morning. And if payrolls continue to improve significantly, this could um motivate the Fed to slow down their bond buying, to slow down their support of the market or their stimulus of the market um, in essence. So if we take a look just this morning, private payrolls um, had big gains in April. In fact, they came out, private payrolls grew by 742,000 in April, um, according to the report this morning from ADP. Um, furthermore, uh, it did miss the consensus of 800,000 that was estimated, but it's still 742,000 is a big jump. Um, and that's well above the 565,000 uh, previously last month. Um, now, what this also tells us is that the labor market is improving significantly. And when we get the rest of this payroll data on Friday, um, this could um, signal to the Fed that interest rates might need to go up quicker and that the economy and the labor market is accelerating back much faster than what they expected. Um, and, you know, maybe they don't need to stimulate the market as much as they have been. And the hedge funds are not liking that. Um, they're not liking the fact that the Fed could be forced to change its tone if the economy continues to accelerate back to the upside as quickly as it it is now shifting into the energy sector. Um, there's a lot of big calls coming out of energy, and I figured I'd throw this into the show. So the energy sector is becoming more and more hot. Um, and really, what it is is it's a lot of big analysts, a lot of big market um, talkers coming out and saying, you know, energy might be presenting a solid opportunity here. So Tom Lee, Fundstrat Global Advisors co-founder, um, you know, a big man when it comes to the markets. He's very popular amongst market commentary. He said, quote, I think the entire energy complex is a buy in a CNBC interview. He went on to say, quote, structurally, the industry and also the energy companies are really seeing the best supply demand alignment in more than 10 years. And then he rounded out his commentary saying, quote, I think energy is really one of the best risk rewards right now. So when he says energy, he means the oil companies. He means the clean energy companies. He means the whole entire complex, oil, gas, electric, 
um, energy as a whole is looking more favorable. And if you compare the overall market on a valuation basis, um, when it comes to risk reward, he's not wrong. If I take a look at a map of forward PEs, I see extremely high forward price to earnings ratios and technology, communication services, consumer statistical, consumer defensive. And where do I see weakness in these valuations? I see weakness when it comes to valuations in the big banks, energy, and healthcare. Um, and I think a lot of people are also seeing that opportunity. Now, um, Bank of America uh, believes ConocoPhillips is by. They came out with this call this morning, and this is just an example of the favor going into the energy sector at the moment. Um, Bank of America analyst uh, Doug Legate said, quote, about ConocoPhillips, for investors, we still see some hesitancy buying into, quote, old energy, which at its core requires a view on oil prices. But at strip prices, we believe the scale of potential shareholder returns means the outlook for the U.S. oils could reset in terms of its relative value within the broader S&P 500. Bank of America pushed this price target to $67 per share um, from their previous price target of $65 per share, and that is significantly higher than the the current price of $54 over at ConocoPhillips. Now, I'm not a big fan of the oil companies whatsoever. I think their long-term future is quite bleak. I think electric eventually takes the game. But at the end of the day, they make a solid point. Energy demand is increasing significantly as the economy recovers, especially oil and gas. And therefore, the oil companies are trading relatively um, at quite a discount compared to the broader market. And with these upcoming demand catalysts and current demand catalysts, I think that uh, some of the oils could be presenting opportunities. Now, personally, this is what I'd do in energy. If I was looking to add energy names to my portfolio, I'd go with a broad-based ETF um, in the energy field. Um for instance, pick something up that is filled with oils. Um, one, for example, would include XLE, which is the Energy Select Sector Spider Fund. Um, so that has a lot of those oil names in there. Um, also, you want to consider some clean energy. So maybe consider a 50-50 split between an energy ETF that's filled with those oil and gas names and then a clean energy ETF. There's quite a bit of them out there. There's a lot of solid um, clean energy names out there. My only issue with clean energy at the moment is there's not a lot of super strong names um, that you can bet on at the moment. There's a lot of quickly green growing um, energy names, but there's a lot of issues with them at the same time. So really um, to de-risk in the clean energy space, because it's very hard to find like a specific clear cut bet in that market right now, um, go with an ETF that's traded by the best of the best. Um, and you could have a lot of low risk, high opportunity. Um, I would say trades there. So that is what I would do when it comes to the energy sector. Um, but I wanted to touch on that quickly. Energy is becoming quite popular at the moment. Um, and I think there is opportunity there. You just have to be very picky with what you buy. Now, shifting into Shopify, um, it's time to get into one of these software giants and really... Um, I want to talk about um, Shopify as a whole, and then we're going to dig into whether this name is a buy as we normally do. So if you don't know what Shopify is, um, ticker sign shop, S-H-O-P. Um, Shopify is an online platform that provides uh, users the tools for virtually anyone to create, run, and operate an online retail business. Now, the company was started in 2006 and has grown into a monster in the e-commerce space. It now has over 7,000 employees, 1.7 million merchants across 175 countries and um, has totaled roughly $341 billion in total sales throughout its platform. Now, uh, Shopify boasts partnerships with a 
a vast array of social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest, and TikTok. Um, and this allows users to get access to an extremely broad base of consumer. Um, and really what this does for Shopify is it mutually benefits the customer and Shopify and the companies that are partnered with Shopify. Because at the end of the day, this allows Facebook um, and Instagram and Pinterest and TikTok and Snapchat. They also have a partnership with Snapchat to get access. Um, it allows those major social media companies to get access to customers that want to buy advertising on their platforms. And it also allows users on the Shopify platform to access um, a huge base of consumers that will basically boast um, a consumer for their store um, really anywhere. Because at the end of the day, a huge portion of the world is on all of those core social media platforms. And if you have access, free reign access to all of those user bases, then there's definitely going to be a consumer set for you. Um, and that is what makes the Shopify platform so strong is it connects the user to these major user bases. Now also, um, Shopify, they've been strong. They've seen strong growth throughout the year, but the stock itself hasn't been outstanding by any means when compared to others. Now, on a 12-month basis, the stocks moved more than 51% to the upside. That's solid, just over 51%. Strong return. I'm not dissing that. But in the past few months, Shopify has actually been flat. In fact, in the past three months, it's down just over 11%. So is Shopify a solid buy? Well, it's currently sitting at 1,152, and we're going to dig into the financials um, after that 51% run in the past 12 months. Now, digging into the numbers, Shopify beat Q1 2021 expectations with an EPS of $2.01, and that's much better than the 73 cents that was estimated. In fact, on a year-over-year basis, EPS improved by nearly 1,000%, by 957.89%. So huge EPS improvement on a year-over-year basis for Q1 2021. Meanwhile, revenues improved significantly as well, with revenues totaling $988.6 million for Q1 2021, representing 110% revenue growth on a year-over-year basis. Now, for reference, um, the Q1 2020 revenue was $470 million. So Shopify here delivering a solid beat and solid numbers when it comes to EPS earnings per share and revenues. Now, if we break down those revenues, it even got more impressive. So breaking down revenues, subscription solutions revenues totaled three hundred. $20.7 million. That's up 71% year over year while merchant solutions revenues totaled $668 million and that's up 137% year over year. Now, um, we're also going to take a look at MRR, which is monthly recurring revenue that improved by a strong 62% on a year over year basis to $89.9 million. So, so far we have strong EPS improvement, strong revenues improvement, even across all segments and strong monthly recurring revenue improvement. So all of these are net positives for Shopify. Um, and these, all of these numbers, all of these areas of growth within the financials are continuing to expand to the upside. Now, shifting into gross merchandise volume, GMV, Q1 GMV um, totaled $37.3 billion, and that's 114% growth in gross merchandise volume um, now on a year-over-year basis. Now, gross payments volume, GPV, also jumped to $17.3 billion, and now it represents 46% of gross merchandise volume compared to 42% in Q1 of 2020. Now, profits, those also expanded to the upside with gross profit dollar growth increasing to a stronger $558.7 million from 
$257 million. That's 117% growth in gross profit dollar. Um, and then adjusted gross profit uh, totaled $565.1 million, which is up 114%. So um, also big expansion in profits. And then income improved significantly as well with operating income increasing to $118.9 million from a $73.2 million loss just a year ago. So they went from a $73.2 million loss to a $118.9 million operating income gain. Crazy stuff. Net income also significantly improved, increasing to $1,258.4 million from a net loss of $31.4 million a year ago. So also significant uh, increases in income and profits, which we like to see. Now, when it comes to guidance, uh, management did not provide specifics um, whatsoever. They cited uh, COVID aspects to guidance. They said, we really don't know or we can't really accurately guide um, at, for the year to specific numbers due to the fact that we got such a big boost throughout the pandemic. We really don't know how our growth is going to be affected in the years to come throughout and after um, we come out of the pandemic. Uh, so they also provided us um, instead of specifics, they said, okay, but we're going to tell you this. Um, they said that revenues growth will be strong throughout 2021. And they said, we expect to grow significantly as we have in the past few years. I expect they'll continue to grow as well. E-commerce is only expanding. Um, e-commerce penetration is currently right around 20%. Um, and as e-commerce penetration increases, which it will, because e-commerce is the future. Um, and that is just where everything is trending. Um, Shopify is going to grow um, significantly as well. Now, man, Management, they were upbeat about the quarter. They said, quote, Shopify's momentum continued into 2021 as digital commerce tailwinds remained strong and merchants took advantage of range of a range of capabilities offered by our platform CFO, Amy Shapiro said. Now, if we shift into the balance sheet, the numbers are solid. Um, total debt, $909 million. Total liabilities, $1.6 billion. Total assets, $10.8 billion. And a cash church investments level of $7.872 billion. Now, on a valuation basis, Shopify does trade at a premium. In fact, it trades at a price to earnings right around 90 times, a forward price to earnings around 240 times, a price to sales around 42 times, a price to book around 15 times, and a price to cash flow around 27 times. So it definitely trades at a significant premium, but you're paying a premium for very strong growth, which it just reported in Q1, and I expect to continue. Um, now, management has been effective with a return on equity of 26.42%, a return on assets of 22.52%, and a return on invested capital of 23.82%. Now, given all of these numbers, um, the analysts, they're quite bullish. In fact, they have a mean price target of 1482 bucks per share. That's nearly a 30% upside from its current price point. The high price target is $1,900 per share. That's roughly a 65% gain. Meanwhile, the low is just $1,100 per share. That's roughly a 4% loss. So you're, according to the analyst, your downside risk compared to the upside risk um, is significantly upside um, instead of downside. Now, the big money is quite involved as well. 64.66% of Shopify is owned by institutions. Top holders include Fidelity Management and Research, Bailey Gifford & Co., and Capital World Investors. Um, now, if you want a technical breakdown of Shopify, go to runningwithmoney.com under the analysis tab. You'll get the entire breakdown completely free as well as a technical breakdown of the stock. Um, so if we take a look at Shopify as a whole, um, Shopify, they're a solid bet for the long term when it comes to the e-commerce space. They boast a solid management team, an efficient platform that customers love, a bevy of major social media partnerships, and not only that, but expanding revenues, um, profits, and income, which we always like to see.
So that's my take on Shopify. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. Now, rounding out um, today's show, um, I'd like to dig into the market prior to open here. It's 8.46 going in the market open on Wednesday. Um, and really taking a look at the broader market, what do I see? If I go to a five-day performance of the market here, a one-week performance of the market, I see that technology is still extremely um, sold compared to the broader market. I see a Microsoft down nearly 6% and Apple down nearly 5%, a Taiwan Semi down nearly 5%, and NVIDIA down nearly 7%, and AMD down over 7%, nearly 8%. I see a Square down nearly 10%. I see an Adobe down 5.515%. I see a PayPal down nearly 7%. I see an Amazon down over 3% on insanely strong earnings numbers. So really, what do I see in the markets right now? I see a lot of opportunities starting to appear in growth, um, and I see a lot of potential opportunities to take some profits off, for instance, in the financials, in the energies, um, which have been running big time over the past few weeks here. So that is really what I am seeing in the market at the moment. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Running With The Money podcast. We will be back on Friday to talk the market, the latest headlines, and even more market news. Thank you for listening and see you then. 